Hey, this is John Stevens, pastor of Chapelwood, and this is our weekly sermon podcast. I hope it will impact your heart and your life and help you grow closer to God. Check us out online at chapelwood.org. Thanks for tuning in. Please stand for today's scripture, which is taken from Genesis 11, 1 through 9. Now the whole earth had one language in the same words. And as they migrated from the east, they came upon a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we shall be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. The Lord came down to see the city and the tower which mortals had built. And the Lord said, Look, they are one people, and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. Nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language there, and that they will not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, it was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hi, Chapelwood family. I'm Matt Russell, one of the pastors here. We're delighted this morning that you have gathered with us online. If you want to know more about our church or really kind of get plugged into this vibrant community, we invite you to go to chapelwood.org home, and you can register your attendance there. You can give your tithes and offerings in that place. You can also let us know what prayer concerns you have. We see you, we care about you, and we're delighted that you're a part of our family. Today, as we get started, I want to just start with a kind of word of, of remembrance. Today is Graduate Sunday, and we've got our seniors who are graduating from high school uh, helping lead the service. I want to thank uh, you two. Preston got a little extra front row time. It wasn't his fault, but uh, it's, he needed some camera time. I think we were talking about that. But you know, thank you to Josie. And, and I, I want to just also say that at, at the next service at 1115, they will have a baccalaureate service and they'll have their cap and gown and they'll be sitting together and march in. But at 1050, um, they're going to do sort of a walk through the campus. And so if you're here and you'd like to help celebrate them, I encourage you to go out into the hallways and wait for them and just celebrate their accomplishment. And also just have a moment to remember uh, two young men who would have been 18 graduating from uh, high school this year. But... Um, will not be with us because they've passed away. And that's Paul Ruckter and um, Brian Locker. And so I hope that you will keep those families in your prayer as these, every moment is difficult, but these moments, especially when you go through these uh, rites of passage are very, a very moment. So just take a moment to remember them, if you will. As we are winding down this series on the book of Genesis in these beginning series. Uh, I hate to admit this to you, but I, I have not been looking forward to preaching the Tower of Babel um, <clears throat> because I, I was actually looking more forward to the lineage in Genesis 5 with all the names. I thought that was actually, I could go more places with that than this. I, you know, I grew up with the Tower of Babel thinking kind of it was just this 
sort of origin story of how we got different languages, and that was pretty much it. But it was interesting this week as I, I rolled my sleeves up and I said, you know what I want to do is I want to go back, I and mean, this is an ancient uh, Jewish Hebrew story, right? Why don't we go back and listen to what the ancient Jewish teachers and rabbis had to say about this story? And what you find is a lot of diversity in different ways they understood it through the centuries, these ancient schools of thought. There, were, for example, was one school of thought in what rabbi that taught that the Tower of Babel was actually built so that the humans could go up with their axes to chip away a hole in the sky to drain all the water because they thought the water was in the sky, it was blue. So they could drain all the water so that God couldn't flood the world again. Now, these are ancient ways of thinking, but because they, they kind of knew they would probably make God mad again at some point. And so they were trying to do a little, we call this deferred maintenance or preventative, preventative maintenance. Uh, there was another translation or, or ancient understanding that there were three groups of people at the Tower of Babel. One group wanted to just climb the tower in case there was another flood so that they could be saved. Remember now the flood only happened like two chapters before this. So this is fresh for them. <laughs> And, and the other group wanted to just go and worship the idol. There's this understanding from the ancient texts that there was an idol on top of this tower uh, with a sword in its hand. I'll talk about that more in a minute. And then there was another group that wanted to actually ascend into the heaven and do battle with God. And that's an understood, you see that crop up quite a bit too in the old interpretations. There was another one I thought, this was fascinating, that they believe that the heavens would collapse regularly every 1,656 years. Because according to their math, that was how long it was from creation to Noah. And so they just figured, well, if God's on time, uh, then in another 1,656 years, there'll be another flood. And so they are building the scaffolding to hold the, 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 the sky up as it would. Uh, they also thought that they could change weather patterns. They thought that the stars or the moons in the sky somehow did something because they understood that's up there and the rain comes from up there. And so maybe if we build a tower, we can manipulate all of that stuff as well. Bottom line though, what you saw are two consistent teachings that followed through the centuries uh, from the oldest translations in Aramaic, the oldest rabbinical teachings or Hebrew schools. And they really rested on two primary teachings. And that's what I want to share today because as I was reading them and, and sort of unpacking them and looking at them, I thought, my goodness, they, they could have written this for us in our time today because it's so applicable. I, I never thought of it that way. And the first lesson that comes out pretty clearly is that this story is a story of pride and rebellion. It is a continuation of the story of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, overreaching. It is a continuation of that story. Now it's just a broader sense of humanity. And as I said, in these old Aramaic trans, some of the oldest translations of this story, there are, or in multiple, there's a surprising twist that's not in our text, but that there is this statue on the top, this idol on the top, this human who is engaged in a posture of going to war with a sword in their hand. And, and so that kind of helps make sense why God's maybe not as pleased about this tower as, as you might think. And what you find here is that instead of building a city or a tower simply 
to distinguish themselves. The scripture says to make a name for themselves. And, and actually, when we read that in the, in the English as it's translated, it kind of just sounds like, well, they're building something to make themselves popular and famous and see how great they are. But actually, the translation is more in a sense that they're trying to distinguish themselves to make a name for themselves apart from God. So there's this way of relating that they're, they're sort of communicating by building this. And actually, consistently in these old interpretations, it says that they are building this to prepare, to distinguish, to separate, to go to war with God. So that they can become the primary moving influence in their lives. I mean, if you think about it, that really does go back to Adam and Eve uh, a lot. One Jewish scholar wrote, the builders of the city and the tower were like those who would no longer accept or submit to any point of view other than their own, even if that other view came from God. Listen to that again and see if that doesn't sound like it applies to humans throughout the ages, but even to us, especially today. Now, the builders of the city and the tower were like those who would no longer accept or submit to any point of view other than their own, even if that other view came from God. And he goes on in his teaching to unpack how it is important and correct to reject the will of a larger community if that community, like the builders of the tower, have committed themselves solely to their own elevation and their own glorification. He says, you cannot be a moral community if you are only after your own purposes, your own gain, your own glorification, your own elevation. And this was written centuries ago. You know, if you go back to the beginning and you, and you we've, we've gone through this, but you read the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2, what you find, and we've talked about this, is God gives a set of permissions and prohibitions. There are things you may do and things you may not do. And a lot of the times as we grow up, we think that God, we've defined in our minds that God's really all about the may nots, the shall nots. There's not a lot of shalls when it comes to following God. There's a lot of shall nots. But that's not what we find in Genesis. As a matter of fact, there's way more permission given than prohibition. There's way more may given than may not given. What does God say when he creates everything? He says, hey, everything here is available to you. You can eat anything you want in the garden. 99.9% of everything here is good. And you can partake of it. But there's this one tree you may not have. And what do we do? It's kind of like when my daughter Sarah Mack was little. And she's standing there in front of the little precious moment curio cabinet. And I say, you cannot touch that. She starts to touch. I said, no, you can't touch it. No, you cannot touch it. You can come over here, play with this. You can come over here and play with this. You can't touch that. And she looks at me and she goes. I mean, it's wired into us from the very beginning, this testing of the limits. It's when human beings break from living in God's world on God's terms. Listen now. We are always testing the limits God desires that we live in God's world on God's terms. That's where we're healthy, whole, and fulfilled, and living exactly how God created us to be. 
And yet always we are testing and pushing because we want to live in God's world on our own terms. And my friends, there are consequences for that. And we see that every day in our own lives and everyone else. When you read these stories of Adam and Eve and Cain and Abel and Noah and all the names in Genesis 5 and here in this story, these are not stories of ancient peoples that we're somehow not connected to anymore. These stories are mirrors that we are standing in front of. They reflect the human condition. They reflect the essence of who we are and who we struggle to be every day. And like them, we tend toward doing life on our own terms. We want to live out the purposes of God in our lives, but we want to do it in our way. <laughs> we want to have relationships that are healthy and life-giving, but we want to have them in ways that are beneficial to us. We want God's will to be done on earth as it is in heaven as long as it means that I get what I want the way that I want and that things unfold the way that I want them to unfold. And this is why it says, come, they say, come, let us build for ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to heaven so we may make a name for ourselves. You hear that? They might be trying to reach the heavens, but there is some other motivation that's about themselves, about themselves. This story, the point of this story is that their actions in building are self-centered, self-referenced, self-interested, and self-oriented. And in that... Ever since the Tower of Babel, every day, humanity has to look into the mirror every moment of every day and every relationship and every word and every posture, every minute, we have to look into the mirror of our own lives and ask ourselves, how are you living? How are you living? How am I living? Is it self-centered or God-centered? Is it self-referenced or God-referenced? Is it self-interested or God interested? Is it self-oriented or God-oriented? This is just who we are. Now I'm going to be vulnerable right now. I was going to tell you that it is really, really hard to always be right. I mean, when I, when I think things and I talk to other people, I'm amazed at how wrong everyone else is. I mean, how can they not see things the way that I see things? I, I, I don't get it. And I'm trying to be humble about it. I mean, I look at the world and I look at what's going on and I have thoughts about things and I, I read things. I'm pretty smart. And I, and I think as I listen to other people, I'm like, they just don't get it. I mean, why is it that they don't get it? Why is it that they can't see and, and I'm, I'm saying this jokingly. I hope you know this. Because uh, I'm only right about a lot of things, not everything. Um, <laughs> no. my, where's my wife? She will tell you. She'll be right out here after this service, and she'll be glad to tell you that's not true. No, the point I'm making is this is the way we live life, self-referenced. Self-referenced, self-centered, self-oriented, self-interested. This is the way it's been since Adam and Eve. But there is a way for us to counter that 
there's a way for us to deal with that. And it takes intentionality and spirituality, prayer, meditation. It takes reading the scripture. It takes coming up aside people in community, not living in isolation, but iron sharpens iron and living alongside people in community who are ruthlessly compassionate truth tellers who love me more than anything and are willing to be honest with me. I got plenty of people willing to be honest with me and they don't really love me. And I got really people, a lot of people who really love me, but not always honest with me. And the way that we live life together as followers of God is to be honest, to say, you know, everything's kind of revolving around you or your ideology or your belief or your politics or this or that or whatever it is in your life. And we have to be able to identify that, recognize that. I think that's the, one of the main things that through centuries of interpretation, this is what Tower of Babel ultimately, fundamentally, one of the main things it's about. It's about pride and rebellion and overreach. And it's about living a Tower of Babel life versus a God-oriented life. And that's only a question that you can answer for yourself. And that's something that you're going to have to work on in your own journey, in your own life, to put yourself in the place and space of community where people are helping you through that. Because honestly, I can't do it on my own. Because as I've just shared, when I'm doing it by myself, I grade myself much higher than I should. What's the old saying? You know, we judge other people by their actions while we judge ourselves by our intentions. We're not equal judges of other people and ourselves. And so we need to be in community in order to do that. And the second real big interpretive uh, thing you find uh, through centuries of Jewish scholars and teaching is that the plan of the people of the Tower of Babel was to build this monument that would be seen for miles around. They wanted to settle together and decided that they would all remain within the view of this tower. No one would stray from it. And they would have one sense of identity, one and same, one and same. You find the main ideas here housed in the two words, one language and the same words, one and same, one and same. And oneness and sameness is what they were after. But that actually goes against um, what God's design was, that we move out into the world to settle the world, subdue the world, to be fruitful and multiply. That was God's purpose, not to stay in one place. And so the people of the Tower of Babel, they wanted everyone to live in this culturally uh, homogeneous environment where they would make sure that everyone stayed alike, talked alike, acted alike, believed alike. And the problem was this, with this, and it is in any time we try to do this, is it leads to this tyrannical way of living in community where anyone who expresses anything outside of what they say is normal is not tolerated. You can't have another way of believing, another way of acting, another way of speaking, another way of thinking. It's not allowed. And that's not unity so much as, as it is unanimity. It's really robotic cloning is what it is. But it's unity around sameness and oneness. And where they get it wrong is their unity was around oneness and sameness. Their unity was built around the wrong thing. And again, this is where we get sideways with God's created intention. God wants unity rooted in a commitment and a love to God. We're unified, not in our oneness and sameness with each other, but we're unified because we have the same commitment, the same love, the same dedication to the same God. 
no matter where we live and how we speak and what we look like. And even though on non-essentials we may have different points of view, the unity can exist because the unity is not about oneness and sameness. The unity is about devotion and love to God. This is important because God calls us to move out into the entire world, to care for the entire world, not to settle in small packets of like-mindedness and sameness and oneness. And I'll give you an example of this. In, in the late 60s, all the way to the almost early 90s, right when I was coming into ministry in the, in the late 80s and early 90s, there was this movement called the church growth movement. I remember going to classes about this and you'd get the workbooks and they'd teach you how to start plant churches and how you did it. And they had this thing called the homogeneous unit principle. And what it meant was that if you wanted to grow a church, like if you wanted to grow a mega church, the, you know, all these churches planted, then you went out and you did the research and the data and you found communities particularly in this day, they were suburbs because you wanted to go find where there was homogeneity, where there were the same looking people who worked the same kind of jobs with the same socioeconomic background, with the same sort of standard of living, live in the same kind of houses in the same kind of neighborhoods. And so these churches would go in there and they would cater to those one or two unique demographic principles. And all of a sudden it's like, everybody came. I love this place. This church is awesome. Have you been to this church? Everyone looks like me and thinks like me and lives the kind of same life as me. We work in the same place. We go to the same schools. This place is awesome. Sounds awesome. And churches grew. The problem was, fast forward 10, 20, 30, 40 years from the 60s, 70s, 80s that this thing come, comes out and society changes, people change, cultures change. Neighborhoods emerge and change. Suburbs become urban cities and rural becomes suburb. And sometimes suburbs become rural again and all these things change and, and people transition and they move. And what all of a sudden you have the people in these churches, they start to diversify. Yeah, they still look the same. And they may still live in the same neighborhoods. They don't think the same about everything anymore. They don't work in the same places anymore. Maybe they don't have the same socioeconomic anymore. And you got this diversity in this group and you don't know how to deal with it because you've lost oneness and sameness. And guess what happens? You know what we do? We don't push through it and fight through it. We split off and start a new church with people who think like us. It's the American way. It's the American way. You split off and you start a new church, and then you split off and you start a new church, and then you split off and you start a new church because you're moving towards oneness and sameness because we never learned how to live in unity, committed to the unity of our shared love of God and devotion of God and created order and all these sorts of things and living and expressing that in the midst of diversity of life. Anytime diversity shows up, we got to move on. We got to find oneness and sameness. And I'm going to tell you something. This was the failure of the church growth movement. Because most of those churches don't really exist in that way anymore. There's not a whole lot of them left. There are a few. They're outliers. But consistently, those churches didn't survive. They didn't make it. They're, they're not what they were created to be because they were designed. The purpose was to build a big church, not to build God's kingdom. Because building God's kingdom and building a big church are two different things. 
And that doesn't mean you can't have a kingdom church that's big. But I will say in the days that we live in, it's a lot harder. And so now when you look around, and, and it's just the nature of who we are. You know, we got white churches and we got black churches and we got Korean churches, we got Hispanic churches, we got cowboy churches, you know? And we got Republican churches and we got Democratic churches, Democrat churches. This, this is what we do. You know, and so we keep dividing, 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 dividing around our oneness and our sameness. And rather than learning to live with those who are not the same of us, the same as us, we prefer to live in communities of sameness. And so the church becomes another tower of Babel for us, a silo, a kind of religious version of our preferred cable news network or our preferred worldview or our preferred ideology. And it's not about singularly devoted and focused on God anymore. It's about other things. And if you think about it, it really just goes to show that centuries ago, as this interpretation and way of thinking about being the church, it's like we haven't really grown a lot since Genesis 11. And I don't know if you got the memo, but Genesis 11 was a long, long time ago. God wants us to be unified around our common commitment to God, our common love of God, our common commitment to loving the children of God, embodying God's grace in the world. This is the kind of unity that God calls us to be a part of. Unity that is oriented around God that allows for diversity. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Um, Last night, I preached at Mercy Street. And I don't know if you've been to Mercy Street lately or not, but you've got people in there who are white and black and brown, and you've got people with a button-down Oxford shirt like this, and people who got a T-shirt and tattoos, and people who are living in nice houses and people who are living in halfway houses. And you got people standing up sharing celebrations because it's their birthday or their anniversary. Somebody's 11 years sober and two guys stand up from the, the sober living house that they came from. And they said, we just celebrating because we're 30 days clean and sober. And I'm looking in, across this room and I'm thinking, there's not a lot of people in here that have a lot of things in common. I mean, because even in Mercy Street, only about... 60% of the people who attend Mercy Street are in recovery, which means 40% of them are not. They're all over the map. And I'm like, well, what brings them together? <laughs> it's a common love for God and the transformation of Jesus at work in the lives of people. That's what you see. And that's why you can have, man, this wild diversity and yet great unity. Unity of purpose, unity of love, unity of, of a passion of following God together. So I, I look at that and I think, this is what we're called to be. One of the things I wanted to share is a real quick little video. Uh, you remember a couple of, of, of weeks back, Bishop Mandi Muyambo was here and preached from, he's the bishop over Congo and Tanzania, and we, we gave him 
a check to build a well because they, when, they, when they start these new communities in these new areas, they build a well and a school and a medical clinic and a church. And they don't even require, I mean, you don't have to join the church. So some of these communities are highly Muslim communities, but they do this because we're supposed to go out and expand the kingdom of God in ways that brings life and health and healing. And just a day or two ago, he sent me this video of the well is finished. Can you play that real quick? It's real short. And I don't even know that there's any words to it. This is how they get to places. They're district superintendents, and these are the, the team that's going out to survey the well. They can only get to places by motorcycle because there's no road systems. And so this place will end up being a place, uh, a center of, uh, of a wide span community that ultimately will have a water well that Chapwood has helped them to build, that you've helped them to build. They'll have a school for these children. The well was just completed this past week and uh, they're pumping water out of it. One of the things Bishop Miyambo said is that, you know, these families and tribes have to walk hours and hours to get water, clean water. And just to think that, that this, is, this is just one part of what we're called to be when God's, you know, I always thought that scattering people in the Tower of Babel was like a, a bad thing, like a punishment, like, a, like God was judging them. In a way, what God was doing was, it was sort of like a loving parent that says, no, now you gotta go, hon. <laughs> you, it's time, you gotta go out and do what I, what I called you to do. You gotta get out beyond the oneness and the sameness and you gotta move out into the world and you gotta make sure that all of my children experience and sense that love and that grace that I, I gave to all of them, not just to you to hoard that up. And that's what I love about this story. And like I said last night to Mercy Street, I was like, I never in a million years thought the Tower of Babel would preach at Mercy Street. And yet, man, I saw, I'm like, this is, this is like exactly who you are as a community. And, and I shouldn't have been so scared to preach on the Tower of Babel myself because I get to the end of it. I'm like, man, this is a pretty, this is a pretty powerful um, reminder. It, it actually is convicting to us on how we live in community together. So I hope as you go out of here today and you think about this, just remember, you know, as you look in the mirror and ask yourself, how am I living? Am I living a God-oriented, God-interested, God-referenced life, or is it about me? And then also ask yourself, when it comes to living in unity in the midst of diversity, how do we wrestle with that? So that we, we're not moving continually to the oneness and sameness, that's the safe space. That's the easy space, but that's not what God wants from us. We're called to scatter. We're called to place ourselves in places of difference and watch God blossom in those spaces as well. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this day and they thank you for uh, this passage of scripture. Um, so much of it challenges our worldviews maybe in a lot of ways, and, but it reminds us of your intent and creation 
to send us out to embrace the diversity of creation that you created, but also to remain unified over the central and essential things, which is you, you and you alone. God, give us the strength and the power as we go out from this place to continue to serve you and to not just stay at our own towers of Babylon. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.